Hey, this is the Nips and Sips podcast. Uh, Feature me, I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd, and my usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today, we got a special guest, uh, Brian Tachibana. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, kind of figuring out your path in the career of physical therapy. Uh, but before I get too much into it, let me pass it off to you guys. Uh, Brandon, Brian, how's it going? Going well. Uh, thanks for the intro, Jer. Uh, let me introduce our guest here. Um, Brian, as you did, he, he has uh, a lot of accolades. We met actually last year uh, briefly and drunkenly um, at the AMP conference. We were at that uh, karaoke bar, I believe. Oh, yeah. uh, Brian came up to me and asked me if I wanted to do be a part of the EPSIG for AMP. Uh, so I was kind of voluntold there. Uh, didn't know him at the time. Uh, forget how he knew me. I think Instagram, maybe? Yeah, it was uh, Instagram. Yeah. But from there, you know, we were, we're building our relationship. Um, we've been able to talk several times throughout the year. I uh, thought Brian had an interesting story, and, and we get him on the show. So, Brian, uh, please uh, introduce yourself, man. Hi, uh, I'm Brian Tachibana. I'm a physical therapist that does mainly orthopedics um, out in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, I just finished my fellowship uh, through Brooks Rehabilitation here in Jacksonville, which I also did my orthopedic residency as well. Um, I did my PT school up in Boston at MGH into the health professions and my undergrad, which is important to me in athletic training at the University of Miami. Um, I'm also currently involved mainly with AMPT as the current interim president for the early professional special interest group which throughout tonight we'll probably uh, refer to as EPSIG just to keep it nice and short. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, before that. we get into the, the thick of it, drinks, guys. Uh, I'll, I'll go first because I have the boring one, and then you guys have some good, interesting stories. I'm drinking Blade and Bow today. Good. But uh, I know you guys have some good interesting too. stories behind you. So what do we got for, for the audience today? Um, so I had a choice to make. I was choosing between a drink that I got in Tennessee. Um, it's a drink from Delaware, the Dogfish Head 120 minute IPA, which I decided to go against because I'm going to wait about another two years to drink that one probably. Um, but tonight I'm drinking a, it's a mix from the Mixology series from the Funky Buddha. Uh, it's a Coquito uh, cream ale. So it's a mix of a Puerto Rican drink with beer. Oh, yes. I know what oh, that yeah, is. Coquito is yeah. great. You gotta let me know how that beer is. Maybe I might venture over. I had a ton of Coquito to, uh, for uh, Thanksgiving, and okay. I will have some more during the upcoming holidays and Christmas. So, gotcha. For those yeah. of you guys who don't know what Coquito is, it's like an eggnog base mixed with uh, usually rum, but you could mix like Hennessy or other stuff with it. Mm -hmm. And why are you bringing those type of drinks to the show, Brandon? They should. Uh... Yeah, I I could I definitely I mean it's usually seasonal that's why you know I have yeah. um but now that you mention it I guess one of these upcoming ones I'll I'll have to have my uh, my mom make a fresh batch and I will make sure I bring it to the show yeah awesome um so I am drinking uh, uh what I will be drinking is my way IPA from uh I guess Jersey City Brewing of some sorts I think it's Jersey City. Oh, no, I have two brewing company, uh, which uh, funny story. Uh, I, I'm the sucker uh, at the local liquor store. They had a mystery bag uh, at the end of the checkout calendar. That was probably there all day. And um, it, I, I looked at it and I, I was the guy who ended up getting it. Uh, so I came up with this, a couple other beers and a, uh, 
ice hurricane ice which my uh that smirnoff drink so that my wife so nicely iced me like about uh half an hour later after i got it very nice of her i love to get iced on a tuesday night so um it's a funny story for me but uh yeah i'm gonna give this a test trial let you guys know the rating but uh yeah jersey city's up by uh brandon right You've yes got, uh, it is just to let you know you ripped me for drinking a white claw and you just got smeared off with ice listen which, it wasn't my choice you could you could have tossed it before you got home like you literally could have gotten rid of it before you got home i, I should have i mean i didn't think i could didn't even come like to my mind that that would happen to me again you know you know last time i got iced was probably when i was like 21 and you know she she nailed me she you know what she did she put it in the cabinet with our plates and we were getting dinner and she's like, Hey, Hey babe, do you mind getting the plates? And there it is, is sitting on there. And then, uh, oh, yeah, she, she forced me to do it. So I couldn't bitch out, you know, the rules are rules, but yeah, that's, that's, that's my wife for you. Everyone. Next time drink a Zima. Yeah. <laughs> all right. All right. I'm, I'm just right, getting a drink here. So, um, Oh yeah. You got to get your, your rating scale. Here. I, know, I, I had a bad pour. Uh, so it's going to be a couple seconds, but Brian, uh, Brian, do you have a rating for your beer? Oh, I don't, mm. so I don't normally drink cream ales and I actually hate eggnog, which is hilarious, but oh, this wow. is actually really good in terms of like, that's kind of what I need right now on a cold day. So, um, because I don't really like cream ales, maybe like a seven and a half. All right. All right. Oh, uh, question. Um, is that sweet? What you're drinking? Is it on the sweeter side? Because uh, it's a sweet, it's a sweet start, spicy finish. Okay. Yep. Gotcha. And then the sweet lingers. So, mm. is the spicy more of like that um, cinnamon slash nutmeg type? Yeah. So the cinnamon nutmeg right now is hitting like the back right now, and it can like get it's getting through the nose, and then okay. on the tongue right now is sitting like that cream like milk finish. Yeah. Talk about palate there. That is, I like the detail. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I should uh spent, screw like, my rating system. I, mean, this is... I just spent like 24 hours cooking Thanksgiving dinner, so I hope I can taste well. All right, there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, my it's pretty standard IPA for me. I'm gonna give it a. I give it a 6.8. Solid. Not, nothing terribly wrong with it. Um, but just I, I think I'm kind of getting out of the IPA phase right now. So, mm. um, 6.8 for the Jeremy Boyd scale. Gotcha. An easy winter drink that I like is um, Cold Snap from Sam Adams. That's relatively um, within good price range. Oh, I've never had it. It's seasonal for just winter. So yeah, um, I've heard like about just... Appleweizen style kind of beers. Yeah. Kind of very up like the very kind of holiday alley. So nice. Yep. Awesome. All right. So I guess we'll we'll jump into it, guys. So yeah. um, something that uh, Brian and I were, were talking about, and actually even before the show, we're, we're talking about um, advocacy. And as if you guys uh, didn't tell from Brian's intro uh, and how I ended up uh, meeting Brian was through AOMPT and participating in that and then being voluntold as he is in the leadership role and the interim president. So... Brian, uh, I guess, has a tendency to get involved in a lot of things. So if you can kind of share or shed some light on that, even dating back to undergrad and graduate school days, 
and, and what it means to be in, uh, involved. And then, you know, how does that look like, I guess, pro, uh, both pro and con, because uh, we're always told to get involved, but what, what does that actually mean and look like? Yeah. Um, so I need to clarify something. I asked you to join. You said, I'll let, I'll think about it. And then you said, yes. So that. <laughs> all those um, drinks, uh, <laughs> skewed that, that night. Yeah, he, I have all told people, but you were not one of the people I've all told. He, he did buy me a few drinks. To, to I did buy him a know. few drinks. I, I think that might've been the volatile part. I think I was there that night and I was at the other bar and, uh, kind of, and I, I think at my credit card bill, I remember it was, I was like, what the hell happened? That's my first AOMP experience. And uh, I racked up a good good number on that day. Yeah, I don't check after after conferences. So. <laughs> Smart man. Um, but yeah, so uh, being involved. Um, so I've been kind of doing some sort of sports medicine or some sort of involvement for a long period of time. Um, I started out, you know, doing some high school athletic training. Um, volunteering there. And then I really started getting more involved in college. So when I went to the University of Miami, um, not only was I helping out on field for my for my major, um, but I was also helping out with some things on the side. So uh, within the state of Florida and nationally, we have the National Athletic Training Association and we're broken up into districts, um, nine different districts. And um, in our district, we had a student leadership group. Um, so my junior year, I ran for it, and I got the representative for our um, for Florida. Um, and then the year after that, I was actually the president for that student leadership group um, for the state of Florida. And then I was also helping out with our local chapter. So at the University of Miami, we had a athletic training student association. So I was helping out with that. And then I was also helping lead our honor society, Iota Tau Alpha, at the time. So I was doing all this stuff. Uh, in undergrad and it was something that I really enjoyed it was a way to get students engaged to be involved with the profession um, and and really kind of give back to the athletic training profession which I you know still love dearly to to this day um, then I went to college or I went to grad school afterward I went to PT school up in Boston and um, my sophomore or my second year rolled around and um, I had been doing some things with the APTA of Massachusetts um, so our chapter up there kind of starting to get involved um, but kind of decided on a whim to um, go to Omaha, Nebraska and apply for the student assembly board for the APTA. Um, and this was after having chatted with the previous board before mine, so student assembly board of directors. Um, I walked up to the, or emailed the vice president at the time and told him I wanted his job and uh, things kind of started spiraling from there. Um, and they eventually slated me for the director of membership. Um, and so I traveled to Omaha that year and I was by myself and ended up winning that election in a pretty tight, uh, pretty tight race. And so I did that for a year, um, got involved with the sports section, um, which is now called the, uh, the American Academy of Sports Physical Therapy um, through the APTA and uh, helped out with their membership stuff. And that's what I was doing until I went into residency down here in Jacksonville uh, at Brooks Rehabilitation. Um, and after that, I got involved with a membership group uh, through AMPT. And through that, I uh, noticed that something that was happening both within APTA, also saw it at NATA for the, National, for the athletic trainers um, and AMPT, that the early professionals were having a, an issue. And that was, 
one from a numbers perspective was retention from students to full-time members and then the other one was from uh, uh, just that whole transition period of early professionals not knowing exactly what to do um, and noticed that was a problem and brought it up to AMT and the early professional site was started and that's how we're here now. Wow. All right. So mouthful there. Uh, yep. You've done a lot. I mean, your ambition is, is, is awesome. The fact that it sounds like, and it sounds like you seeked out a lot of the stuff too. Um, so is that just like innately you, like you, you want to be involved, you, you want to give back, you want to push things forward. Um, and then I guess with that, did that lead to being overwhelmed? Like that's a lot to juggle as a, undergrad student and then as a PT student as well. Yeah. Um, yeah season fellowships right now, just at, at those two stages, where, where, where were you at? Uh, yeah, I was definitely the person that definitely sought out more than I could probably chew. Uh, mm. And or I, I, I did more than I could buy that, whatever the phrase is, I can't exactly yeah. remember right now, but like, um, I was, yeah, I had, a, I, I definitely was the person that sought, sought it out and I was not the person that was like told to like, go do those things. I mean, I was told in general to like get involved and do those things, but I always sought more out than I think maybe the average person would per se. Um, and I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that for me, me realizing that that's my type of personality and that's what I like to do, that's been super helpful, but also realizing that not everybody else is like that. Um, especially working as the membership chair for, for a year helped me realize that it's not for everybody. Um, and working at that level can burn you out as a, it, it, it did for me. Um, and part of that was I burned out because I loaded my plate too much and couldn't balance out my own personal life. And so I was doing so many extra things that I was not taking care of myself. Gotcha. So, super, what were you saying, Jer? Sorry. Which is a super important last thing that you says. You know, you know this kind of filling up the plate or filling up the bucket kind of, you know, analogy or concept there. Those sort of things, even outside of it, you know, from a clinical standpoint, um, you get a lot of these people with chronic pain or pain in multiple areas, and they're these super high performing uh, PTA moms. Uh, working full time, uh, taking their kids everywhere, uh, like leading three different groups at like church and other, all these sort of things. And um, they don't ever have a chance to actually burn out because it's, you know, you can't burn out from being a mom or, you know, even a PT student. Um, but it does have some negative effects for sure. I'd, I had two conversations with that with, with clinic with patients yesterday um in regards to it. it's just like teachers just adding a ton on their plate and they it's almost as if you once you start adding things on your plate you just have to keep adding them keep adding them and you don't realize a lot of these roles and responsibilities don't fall off the plate it's not like you just get one and then one falls off it's just keep adding 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 and i think that leads to a lot of that breakdown but go ahead brandon i just felt like some important things to say yeah that i was going to say that actually kind of to something that you had said a few episodes ago where you know a pt school pt burnout which is really high in a profession especially early on um within the first couple of years kind of starts in pt school 
And is it because, and not to say this is a bad thing, because I think we, we do need to be involved and we need, we need to push our profession forward. Um, but is it starting at that P, PT student level where we're trying to, you know, that PT school is probably where the, where the most, you know, gung-ho and, and green-thumbed and like, let's, let's, you know, let's move forward and, and rah-rah. Um, and then honestly, it's like you try and do all these things and then for some reason you graduate, I guess that loan bill hits you in the face or maybe just other life events and everything that you, you wanted to do envision, like for a lot of people, it just gets dropped. Yeah. Um, you know, Brian, you know, from, I don't know, how many years you've been practicing now? Uh, three. Three. Oh my God. Yeah. I fell yeah. three years. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> awesome. So dude, awesome. like I thought me and Jeremy flew through stuff after six years and, and you are, you know, after three years, you've gone through a residency and fellowship. That's awesome. That's awesome. Looking back, and now that you have kind of a, a, a bit of a chance to breathe, um, can you, you know, look back and say, you know, maybe some advice for some other people? What does getting involved mean for us now? Um, yeah. How can we do it in a balanced way? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. Um, I think I think one is really understanding what your personal plate is like. Um, if you don't really know kind of what makes you tick, uh, like things that really get you energized and things that you are getting passionate about, you're going to join organizations and do things and, and you're going to get positions because you showed interest. Um, but you may not love what you're doing and it may become more stressful than it is passionate. And you want to be in those positions that you, you want to make sure that you're enjoying it or you've got the self-awareness to make sure that there's a bigger picture in mind. Like, you know, that this is a step or a means to, to, to do something else. Um, I think when it comes to getting involved, uh, you're right. Like during PT school, you are with everybody who is gung ho about everything and you really feed off that energy. Like for me, that's, that's why I love going to conferences. I will always go to them probably regardless of price because I, I feed off of that energy. I go back to clinic and I, I love my life again. And I, I always want to find a way to bring that energy back. Um, and then you're right. When you leave PT school, uh, a couple things happen. I think all the life events happen. Um, you start actually like you get stressed about these patients are actually yours. They're no longer your CIs. You actually have to treat them now. Mm -hmm. um, and then on top of it, the organizations notoriously have not done a really good job of keeping those people engaged and those energy levels up um, for the, that population. And that was the reason why um, there was the, there was a group, a focus group, or as a task force that was put together by APTA during like 2016, um, the early, the early career, um, early career team to focus on suggestions to give for early career members. And so that was the reason why EPSIG was created for AMPS. It was from recommendations from that group from APTA that I brought over to AMPS so that what they understood what was being made. And so some of those people who were on that board were former student assembly board members. Um, but that's, that's been a huge issue is keeping people engaged and how do we bring that next wave of involved and engaged people to the forefront and not only celebrate them, but also give them opportunities to, to thrive, not just, Hey, let's just go through life and, and, and you'll figure it out along the way. Um, give them some, some ways to do that. Um, but when it comes to getting involved, I don't think that people should get involved at a national level unless they know that that's what they love to do. Um, 
I don't think that people should get involved at a state level if that's what they don't like to do. If, they, if they're really good at doing things in their own hometown or doing things at their clinic and stuff like that, like to me, that's being involved, being engaged and leading the community. Um, the PT community is way larger than doing stuff at the APTA level. You, you have to just have the understanding that you do it because you love to do it. And there, I think the, the recognition sometimes gets to people of like the, you don't recognize people doing small things um, mm. that are impacting a whole lot of people. And so hopefully that becomes a lot more like uplifting as people start to realize like we need to lift those people up and, and show that they're doing amazing things, but they're not, they're just not doing it at a national level and it's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 Go ahead. Especially with like things like social media. Like I tell my students, uh, I think, was it financial resources or something on the CPI? I forget what it is. Oh, but one yeah. of them yeah. says something about advocating the profession or something like that. And I remember, I don't know, something during residency where, I don't know, we were talking about Twitter and how a lot of research was there and, you know, the power of social media and those sort of things. And just something as simple as sh sharing out what PTs can do on someone's from someone's story or something of that nature that little bit can be, you know, your form of advocacy. You don't have to be, you know, presenting at conferences or something or something more grand than that, but something as simple as reshare. Um, as long, you know, if you're passionate about that profession, you'd be surprised at how many people will just come out and reach out to you um, from you doing something as simple as that. But uh, that I heard, I was like, you know, we always think of, you know, you have to advocate at a huge level, you know, those sort of things, but it can be done, you know, just at the comfort of your own home. Yeah. yeah well, well said, I, I think, uh, and this kind of goes back to, um, our podcast with Jake, who's a student and absolutely crushing it. Uh, you know, we have a small percentage of our profession trying to carry, you know, 80% of it. If everybody just did a little bit, um, I think our, our profession would be a lot further along and we all want it to be further along, but no one really wants to take those steps. Mm -hmm. And as Jeremy said, and Brian, that doesn't have to be those big monumental steps. Start small. You know, you take those small steps. They'll probably end up big down the line. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one thing leads to another leads to another, you know, that's how each, all three of us are here. Um, you know, you get introduced, you do one thing, you get introduced to someone else, you get introduced to someone else. Uh, Brian asked me to do the EPSIG the with him. And then I went to Jeremy. He was like, hey, I'm doing this thing. You want to join? You know, and it just kind of goes, it goes that way. I asked mm -hmm. Brian, hey, you want to do this podcast? Um, he's like, I'm not a good talker. I'm like, what, what can I talk? Dude, don't worry about it. Like, you just, just do stuff. And then when you're asked, say yes. Um, you know, like I, I told Brian, I was like, ah, I don't know. And I was like, you know what? Let me, I'm always, you know, preaching. Let me, let me do it. So I said, yes. You figure it out along the way. Mm -hmm. um, you don't have to have those those answers now. Uh, there, there's a saying. I don't know who who um, who came up with it, but we we as people overestimate what we could do in a year and underestimate what we can do in ten years. Mm -hmm. So I think if we just do a little bit each day, it'll you know when we look back, it, it'll amount to a lot. Well said. Yeah. Um, can't say anything more than that <laughs> yeah i mean maybe you should just quote it as yourself you know brandon cruz yeah, I, I wish i wish i, 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 I 
that smart or creative or clever. So, uh, but you know, going off of that, like in those sort of things, like think of, I always reference direct access. I still to this day, and like half of my marketing is, oh, script free, yada, yada, yada. And every single day we still get people that say, do I need a script to come see you? Can you guys evaluate us? That sort of stuff. If we all took, uh, I'm pretty sure to some capacity, every state can perform direct access, even if it's only like 10 days. So which, nope, what state can't? I think there's, there's a couple, a couple that, have, that you don't have direct access in. Yeah, there's only no. two, two left. Two? Yeah. I'm surprised because usually New Jersey is the pain in the ass in the world. So. Yeah, we actually have a good I know, one. we've had it for the longest, or one of the longest. It helps. Yeah, but anywho, like, all right, minus those two states, I'm sure their advocacy, or maybe, you'd, you know, if we advocated more, those two states would already be on board. Um, but doing little things of, like, help telling people that we can do that, um, you know, yeah. each one of us, um, you know, I think our responsibilities would grow and our overall, how many people come to physical therapy would increase. So, mm-hmm. yeah um brandon you brought up a good point um you're saying that a small percent of people are trying to lead the community and it really is um if you consider so and i don't mean to like praise the organizations or anything like that or, or like really bring it up but like just bring it down to like numbers perspective i think about like it's like 30 percent of people who are pts or ptas are members of our organization that's just for apta that doesn't include AM. that's you know, yeah, that's APTA. Yeah, I think. Yeah, we'll we'll go through. I think that might be a little generous, but yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a little. I, I'm saying it just to be a little bit more on the generous side. It's probably more like twenty something. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then when it comes to people leading that organization, it's like within. So if you take the twenty percent now, turn it back to one hundred percent, it's like one percent, two percent of those people who are actually leading those things from a from a um official position perspective but not understanding that the rest of the 90 plus percent have a really important role to, to help that's just within APTA. But if you take it outside of that, like it's way bigger than that. Like these people are making decisions for a huge amount of people and they're not even a part of the conversation necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's unfortunate. And we're, we're, we're facing a Medicare cut right now of 9%. Mm-hmm. And that is a perfect example, perfect time to kind of bring that up. Yeah. So, but uh, yeah. sorry, you're gonna say something? Yeah, and in, in regards to that, like Medicare is another thing. Um, I've had conversations with people like, oh, well, that doesn't apply too much to me. Uh, I mean, in the sports realm, you may not see too much Medicare, but who cares? Like, you know, it's your fellow brother in arms PT or sister in arms PT. Um, yeah. I get, I see maybe a handful of Medicare's per month, so when break me but you can you know break my my friend or the next clinic over or severely hurt them and i feel like a lot of people they won't go about if it doesn't directly affect them they're not going to participate and it's something as simple and something like that is you know sign the uh uh not the waiver the uh shoot slip in my mind the uh the petition the petition, petition. Um, something as simple as that, you know, it takes two seconds to put your name, your email down, a yeah. pre-written letter to your senator. Uh, you know, a lot of those times it can help. Uh, in the state of New Jersey, Horizon Blue Cross Blue Shield, 
when they tried to um, have their, I guess, authorizations uh, taken by a different uh, group called ASH that pretty much limits PT to five sessions, regardless of the diagnosis code. Uh, we advocated and we won that battle. Um, and I know from you know, good authority that what we did actually made a difference. And for those individuals who are like, oh, I don't see Horizon, who cares? You know, you know, it helps out your fellow professionals. So, you know, something as simple as your signature can make a big difference. Mm-hmm. And it's also the precedent that's set. Like you were saying, if with the two states that have the direct access, a lot of these states look at other states as precedents for, for things to be being passed. So if, you know, Medicare is able to pass this law, then who's to stop the commercial insurances to, you know, not pass a law or pass a law because they're like, oh, Medicare did it, so we're going to do it. You know, and everybody now they knew how things are. Let's go to cash pay PT. And, you know, what we, we probably do need to go there uh, in some respects, but that's not the answer for everyone or everything um, in terms of PT is just going cash. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I hear a lot of students, oh, I'm just going to go cash. I'll do my own thing. All right. It's not, it's not that easy. If it was, everybody would do it. Yeah. I just looked at ABTA's thing. So all 50 states have some form of direct access. Three are very limited, three are limited. Okay. Um, and then 27 have provisions on it and then 20 are unrestricted. All right. So I live in a state that it's restricted. Yeah. I mean, we technically we have a restricted one too, but it's pretty open 30 days and it's very gray on the terminology. So you get to kind of seeing people longer than what, what it does say, but yeah, there are some States where you can't, you, you have to practice three or five years and take a test to become direct access. Yeah. Um, you know, there's somewhere you could see somebody like two or five times and that's considered direct access. <laughs> but uh, Thanks for looking that up, Brian. Yeah, just wanted to make sure. Yeah. Um, something was said earlier in this conversation. I, I can't remember what uh, exactly or who said it exactly, but it was like not feeling you need to do everything now and not having it figured out. And I think it's a good segue, um, if you guys don't mind, to Brian, your story about what you originally wanted to do, which is work with sports teams and NFL teams. And for whatever reason slash reasons, you know, I'll let you go into that. It's gotten derailed. And guess what? That's life. And you have to kind of work through it and make the best of it. And can you kind of go into your story and the process and, you know, um, I guess the, the, the down part or the negatives where you're like, oh, shit, what am I doing? And then, you know, now you kind of come out through the other side and you're like, maybe this was for the better. I've learned X, Y, and Z. And now you can reorient yourself back to your original goal. Yeah. Um, so I've been working for, just, I guess, just to help give people reference, um, I've been working towards uh, hopefully working with an NFL team since I was a junior in high school. Um, and so I was 15, 16 at the time, uh, 28 now. So um, <clears throat> it's been a long time coming. And uh, I just, I love being on field. Uh, that was the one thing that I'd love to do. It kept me involved, engaged, and I loved every minute, regardless of the hours that were put in. Um, that's why I wanted to do athletic training in, in college. Um, and I knew that pay was going to be low. I knew all those things were going to happen. The hours were going to be long. And uh, I still love it to this day. And so I went to college with the, the anticipation of wanting to do that. 
my high school athletic trainer at the time told me that the best way to do that was to go to a, obviously an athletic training program um, that had a division one football team associated with it. And that was one of the reasons I ended up in Miami was to work with a high profile division one team that a really solid athletic training program. And I got a really good education. Um, I still like use some of those principles to these, to this day. I still love my education down there. And, um, during my time there, I had an internship. Uh, I had an internship with an NFL team for us for a summer. Went up there and absolutely loved it. Wanted to figure out if that's what I wanted to do, and um, came back. And the advice that I got from the head PT and athletic trainer there was, if you've got time to go to PT school uh, to become dual credentialed, go do it. Um, so that's what I went and did. Um, I realized that there were some gaps that I wanted to fill uh, from an athletic training perspective that was neuro. Um, so I went to a program that had a really strong neuro background. So and that's how I ended up in Boston um, to really understand that I wanted to be, I wanted to be well-rounded. Like that was my, that was my goal. I wanted to make sure I had my, my ducks in a row, I guess. And I, maybe that's the way that I tried my best to do things. I tried to make sure every duck I had was counted towards working towards this goal. So I, I, I thought I had a, gap in neuro from my athletic training perspective, went to a neuro-based program. After that, realized I had a gap in ortho. Didn't realize it, uh, you know, applying from uh, undergrad, how how much of a gap that it would have been, um, mm -hmm. how much more education I would have gotten had I gone to maybe a different program at the time. Um, and I ended up going to doing an orthopedic residency. And I get the question all the time, like, why not do a sports residency? Uh, I thought at the time that I was, I had a really solid athletic training background and um, ortho was the way that I wanted to go. And I wanted to have a really solid ortho background before going into sports. Um, and that's why I ended up doing an orthopedic background. And then they're like, why not do a sports residency and go to fellowship? Um, for me, that was the thought process. Uh, the thought process of, of going into fellowship, I thought was more important and better long-term than going to a sports residency program. I still fight with that every day mm -hmm. and it's, it's definitely rough, especially after this year. So basically what happened was I did all these things with the intention of, I thought I had prepped myself well enough. I had been talking to a couple of NFL teams that I thought that I was going to be ready for the NFL internship by that. And so what people, if people don't know what the NFL internship, it is an internship that is typically offered to athletic trainers. Um, to, to relatively younger athletic trainers who have just finished school or in grad school, just finished grad school, um, to do a year long or two year long internship typically with an NFL team, being with them full time. Um, and there are a couple teams out there who are hiring PTs, who are hiring PTs who do not have athletic training backgrounds, um, who may have a sports residency under their belt, um, but they do have PT specific only uh, internships that do exist in the NFL. Um, I thought I prepped myself well enough. I got two interviews and I didn't get either one of them. And thinking back of like 11, 12 years of like processing all of that, that's been a little rough. Um, yeah. Thankfully, I've been in a really good place uh, here in Jacksonville that I've found other things that I actually really enjoy, um, but still finding ways to like do the thing I love. Like I still love sports. I still miss it. So I'm still helping out with the local high school, um, but I'm also looking into other paths that I've, I really enjoy, which is education, um, looking at other ways to give back to the PT community, which is why I stay involved. Um, the athletic training community, I want to get start getting back involved with that too, um, with the intention of still working hard and building my 
ducks to maybe, you know, go back and try again for the NFL again. Yeah, I mean, great, great story. Thanks for sharing. Uh, like mm-hmm. you said, it's been tough on you. you. You've had to kind of really process it. Um, but, you know, that's, um, you know, unfortunately, that, that is life. But we need to be able to kind of come out the other side, which it seems you have. And you're still coming back to, okay, is there a way to get back in? I have a quick question, actually, I, I, with the, um, the, the sports thing. Mm-hmm. Did you entertain um, a sports fellowship? Because I know those are out there now. I don't know if that was uh, in in the cards or, or yeah. your, your, your viewpoint. I mean, you went to a great residency and fellowship program. Obviously, Bob Rowe is one of, you know, the leading founders of AOMP. And, you know, his name is just up there. So top-notch uh, programs you went to there. But uh, just from the sports side of things, uh, can you share some insight on that? Uh, I won't lie. I started looking at it a couple weeks ago. <laughs> um, I started looking at, you know, at sports residencies and started looking at um, sports fellowships to see if, you know, do, do they fancy my interest? Uh, is this something that it, it's, I think the hardest part about this whole process has been thinking about, do I really want to do this again? Yeah. Like I felt like I was on such an emotional roller coaster when it came to the, the process of applying, getting the interview calls being told like, Hey, we're going a different direction. Um, and we can talk a little bit more about that later about, you know, that, that what happened during the interview itself and the, how that was kind of a tough pill to swallow. But, um, yeah, still, it's still like a lot to try to process through there. And so maybe, maybe my last duck in a row is actually to do the thing that I said I wasn't going to do, which is do a sports residency or do a sports fellowship. Um, I don't think I'm ready for school again right now. I think I think I'm okay with yeah. being out for like a little bit and then figuring it out as as I go along. But um, no, it's definitely in the cards. I don't think I'm old enough. I don't think I'm you know too old to go back. Um, I'm still willing to learn, and that's that's a population I still love. Like I still want to treat them here. So even if it's an outpatient setting, like I still love the kids and you know the adults that want to do high level things. So was was a sports fellowship on the radar you know two years ago or three years ago when you when no did did you not think of it did it wasn't around like what was the insight to that i did think of it um it was definitely it was definitely on the cards of things that i that i was considering doing um it just it wasn't on the radar of like the yes i'm definitely going to do it after fellowship it was uh, i know these things exist yeah and I know where some of them are at, um, but I didn't do much more research other than that, other than knowing where the programs were located. Well, well, I mean, instead of doing the orthopedic manual therapy fellowship, mm, doing no. a sport, like jumping into that, like uh-huh. doing an orthopedic residency and then, oh, let me do a sports fellowship instead of the OMP fellowship. Yeah, um, that's a good question. Uh, I think when I got to the end of residency, I, I think I realized I... I thought I wasn't ready for sports at the time. Um, and I needed more time to process information. Um, I talked to my residency coordinator at the time because I was fighting with the, do I make the jump to the NFL? Do I do manual therapy fellowship? I don't even think I considered sports fellowship at the time. Um, but yeah, one of the decisions ended up coming down to was the Brian, you like moving a lot. You've been all over the country. So uh, you might need to spend some time and figure out like what your home base is, not like living wise, but like how you think about information before you start adding more things to your bucket. Gotcha. 
goes back to what we were talking about before. Yep. Um, yeah, and then Brian, you get you know you're pretty young too. It's not like uh, you, you say you're 28. So something to I applaud you for doing all these sort of things, and thank you probably beating yourself up a lot um, you know, going for something that I'm pretty sure is pretty cutthroat. And I know the whole sporting realm, once you're in it, this continues to be cutthroat of very competitive and um, a lot of, of even to the point where I've heard it gets to jealousy. Um, but from, yeah, you seem like you had some regrets in that sort of, not regrets, but some things that you think about, like what, you know, what path you did take, um, I know Brandon and I have talked about it of, you know, how orthopedics tends to be kind of the umbrella and sports tends to be a sub kind of section off of it. Mm -hmm. uh, do you regret, and um, I, I treat in the, I guess, sports setting, I do get pro athletes and that sort of stuff, obviously not working in the same dynamic of a sports team or the NFL, those sort of things. Mm -hmm. um, I've, you know, talked to people who've done sports residency, um, and also Randy, who was on our show before, Randy Lazicki, who's done a sports fellowship and going through an orthopedic manual therapy uh, fellowship. Um, I don't personally like look back and be like, oh, I should have done a sports residency or from over my orthopedics. Um, obviously, I don't do as much on-field stuff, but what I gathered from me personally uh, from my orthopedic training, how I treat the athlete. Um, in the clinic, I believe better suits me to get them better, faster, and quicker than what you potentially may learn in a sports residency, which is a little bit more on-field triage stuff. Do you feel that's true, or do you really feel like sports residency might have better prepared you for actually treating the athlete? Um, okay, so this is, this is where I – this is the reason I didn't go to sports residency is that I felt like a lot of sports residency was very similar to athletic training. Mm -hmm. And I did not want a repeat of athletic training. Now, there are programs that are out there that do not do that. Um, and that was my mistake. Um, I did not talk to the programs enough to figure out, like, are they going to go to the level that I want them to go to? Um, so that's, that, that was, that was, I think my fault when it came to that. Um, I think when it comes from a PT perspective, I, if I took an orthopedic resident that came out compared to a sports resident who came out, who needed to do sports treatment on field, I'm taking the sports resident every time. Um, just like I would take a athletic trainer compared to a physical therapist out on field at a baseline level every single time. Um, now we can go into the like high level PT compared to low level AT. Like that's not a, that's, that's not a fair argument, but, um, mm. but yeah, so that, that was why I didn't end up going to PT third uh, sports residency. Um, so I, I, I think you've spent some time understanding your thought process to be a really good sports therapist, even from an orthopedic background. And I think people who want to treat in any realm, regardless of whether it's sports or anything like that, need to take that time and that effort to really learn those populations and how to apply those concepts that you learn that you probably learned in fellowship and apply them to those athletes to get them better faster, right? So because you're now balancing not just their physical injury, you're balancing their mental status, you're balancing their their need to return compared uh, and also adding in what other treatment they're getting on the side, right? 
um, things that we have to do every day on a daily basis, but you've taken the extra level of making sure like, can I now apply this to this really high functioning human being, which we don't get in a lot of PT schools. Mm -hmm. Does that answer? I don't know if I answered the question. It did. Um, where do you see yourself though? Uh, in regards, you want to be in the NFL? Do you see yourself more of, I don't know if you get to choose, obviously I'm not in it. Um, <laughs> if I had to yeah, do you see yourself wanting to be part of the on-field kind of stuff or more in the training room doing the rehabilitation side of things? I know they go hand in hand, um, yeah. but where do you see yourself again? More that triage or more that I'm there, you know, working on their knee, status post ACL every day? Yeah, I love the everyday thing. Um, okay. I love I, I love having a small patient population that I know every day throughout the entire year know learn get to understand what makes them tick what makes them like know their habits like be able to work with them that way because that to me was the best care i ever saw the best care to me is you get to work with physicians you get to work with chiropractors massage therapists acupuncturists physical therapists athletic trainers just to get this guy ready for the field or girl ready for the field and i i honestly miss having open communication when it comes to that um no, I, I do know that in the sports or in any world that there is like, there can be like very, people can get jealous or they, there's a lot of contention and stuff like that. But like at the end of the day, the goal is to get this person back out on the field. And that's everybody's goal. And you want to do it as safely as possible. You want to do it as aggressively as possible within reason. Um, and, and I loved that. I love that intensity that was brought to be able to do that. Cool. I have a question about the uh, the PT AT dilemma. I, I think this is great for um, hopefully viewers out there that are you know questioning: Do I do an orthopedic residency? Do I do a, a sports residency? Um, you know, kind of where do I go? Type of deal. That early professional uh, kind of what we're we're really trying to target, right? Um, like Jeremy said, uh, and I'm a, of the same belief that the that sports is is a sub category of orthopedics. Um, and I had the experience of working with, uh, you know, really good PT out of right out of his sports residency. And I just got out of my orthopedic residency. And if you're talking, if, and maybe you could clarify this too, because if somebody is being hired at, at a dual role, is that dual role to be the on-field triage or to get that patient better? And I guess uh, another layer to that, if you're there to get that patient better, do you just need the skill set of one or the other? Because from what I've seen, again, I'm sure it's not all encompassing. There's different programs out there. Yeah. And again, your hindsight 2020, you know, we all beat ourselves up for stuff. Like you say you shouldn't, you didn't do your due diligence and maybe talk to enough programs. Like at 22 or 23 years old or whatever age you were coming out of school, it's impossible to reach out to every program. Yeah. Um, you thought you did what was best for you at that moment in time. You didn't want, you had an AT background, so you wanted to strengthen your orthopedics. So you did orthopedic. I mean, I mean, that makes perfect sense. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Mm -hmm. um, but back to my, my kind of point and my experience and even mentoring, yeah. those sports residents tend to, again, this is not all encompassing, but, lack the spine treatment skill mm -hmm. um, versus obviously extremities, very good with ACLs and, 
and post-ops and things like that. But what about those, uh, and I see this a lot in athletes, uh, and Jeremy, you, you test uh, agree or disagree, where they'll have some type of extremity type pain that's really coming from the spine. And if you're not taught and don't have that knowledge to treat the spine to an in-depth level, are you doing that patient a disservice, quote unquote, uh, because you're so biased in the athletic training on field type of mindset and training or, or even a, a PT side um, extremity post-op multidisciplinary setting and you never mastered that spine aspect, which I think gets overlooked a lot. Yeah. And now, you know, with your advanced training, what, where do you see how that thing, those things fit? Okay. Um, this is a really tough answer. Um, athletic training, we didn't really cover the spine a whole heck of a lot. Also didn't cover a whole lot of covered manual therapy, but not to nearly to the extent that PTs do. Um, so that's, those, those are the areas that we looked to physical therapists a lot for mm -hmm. um, coming out of it. Um, going into kind of where sports residency and orthopedic residency lie. So that's like kind of the difference between like ATs and PTs. Like the yeah. PTs, of course, strictly PTs, will do PT things. So they, they may, when it comes to on field evaluation, they're going to stay on the sideline. They're not running out there unless they need to. They're, they're the last people typically on the, on the totem pole. Like even when I'm out uh, working with uh, my local athletic trainer, I'm, I'm second or third in line. Mm -hmm. um, but when it comes to doing a more in depth evaluation, so say they're back and stuff like that, like, the head athletic trainer may do a lot of it. Um, the PT may do a lot of it. It just depends on how the dynamic of the team works at that point in time, typically. Um, or the physician may do it, right? Um, and then they will make a decision at that point in time who's best to treat them. Uh, so they may find that other people are better at certain subsets than anything else. And so you may have an athletic trainer who's really good at knees better than the PT is, and they'll take the knees, and that's okay. Um, and, and they kind of figure out who fits where, what role, all that type of stuff. And it changes per team, per everything that goes on. Um, I think from a just pure PT perspective, if you don't have a sports background, I think you need to do some sort of sports. And it's really hard to get involved and engaged in PT with sports and at a high level. Um, so that's where I think the sports residencies are super helpful, mm. is giving people opportunities to be able to do those things. Um, and I don't know anything about the specific education that sports residents get for the spine. Mm -hmm. From what you're saying, it sounds like they need a better, they were like having a better education in the spine would be beneficial. Yeah, I'm sure that's not all encompassing to every right. sports resident. I, I don't want that mixed message to the audience get out there. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't, I don't think that's a message you're trying to send, but like, I, I think that if you're going to treat sports and you're going to treat ortho regardless, I think you have to have a good background all over the place. And, and if you, you have to realize that programs are going to do something for you, they're not going to do other things for you. So um, there are some things like the variety of manual therapy techniques we got at our fellowship program here is not as broad as some other programs are. Mm -hmm. And that's okay because we spent a lot of time on thought process. We spent a lot of time on communication and, re and really engaging your patient and, and doing those things. And that was the strength of our program. And that I think was really important. So I, th I think knowing your pros and cons to that extent is really important. Um, I, I don't think you can say you want to work sports if you never work sports. So that's, that's where I find really hard when people are like, I really want to work sports. And like, have you ever done it? And they're like, no. And I'm like, okay, you need to go and 
find a way into a sports clinic or find a way to have experience doing it, whether that's just hanging out on the sideline with the local, you know, local high school athletic trainer or finding a way to the sports clinic or going to some classes or something like that with some local athletic trainers, like stuff like that. Um, awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well said. Great advice. Yeah. Thank, thanks for, for shedding that light on. Cause I, I think, um, and we've all been there, you know, coming out of school or even while you're in, in PT school, what do you want to do? What do you want to go into? How do you want to specialize? It, it seems to be kind of where, the profession's going more into the specialization, um, you know, picking that one that's right for you and, and reaching out to, um, you know, either volunteer somewhere or shadow or, or picking people's brains that have done it and, and gone through it and hikes night 2020. Um, yeah. All great stuff, Brian. Um, I do have a, a kind of follow-up question. If you don't mind, I forget a, a kind of a little bit even deeper personal personal wise uh, but jerry do you have any any other questions with her or no no i'm excited to see where uh, this question's going it's about to get yeah. deep here no, <laughs> hindsight 2020 we we all say right it's crystal clear um it seems like you you've wanted and you mentioned it you know when we talked previously you're a contingency person you like to have your ducks in a row you like to have you know backups and backups for backups yeah. um versus you know the other side of it is go all in um whether it's you or maybe even you or and advice to other people yeah. you know do you know do we kind of shoot ourselves in the foot sometimes um just people in general like trying to make everything perfect and we rationalize things in our head oh if i do this this and this then i'll be a shoe in but then you know things happen and it's not the case versus you know, kind of being comfortable with what you know, like you, you said earlier, you, you didn't feel ready. Yeah. Um, you know, looking back, if you just would have kind of went in and applied earlier, could, could have things changed or, or been different? Um, yeah. I, I, if you could kind of dive into that, if you don't mind. Yeah. Uh, I, I kind of do sometimes think that if I had applied earlier um, or didn't go to PT school, that I had a really good chance of doing it. Um, I had, I had made a good impression with um, the team I was working with at the time, or at least I thought I did, um, to be able to do that. Um, but, uh, you know, I, so because I'm a contingency person and I, I love making sure I had backups to backups, mm -hmm. um, I wanted to make sure that I was ready long-term um, for mm -hmm. kind of whatever happened down the road. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this kind of put everything to that test to see if I was really ready to do all of that. Um, and for me, when it came to that, so the, the interview that we're talking about was one of the interviews I had with the NFL team at the time. Uh, and, uh, one of the reasons I was told I, I didn't get a position was because it didn't seem like I wanted it enough. Um, which, which was, it, it almost, it almost hurt. Um, yeah. it was definitely, it was definitely painful to hear because I was like, the answers I was giving to some interview questions and, and that type of stuff was that I, I'm very much a realist. I, like, I knew what the demand was going to be. Um, I didn't know where my head was at and I wanted to be honest about it. Um, I've always been the person that's honesty is the best policy. And I stuck to my guns when I, when I gave that answer. Um, and in this case, it, it bit me in the foot and, um, I, I'm never a person, my all, my going all in quote unquote in my life is going all in to create these contingency plans. Mm -hmm. 
um, or, or making food. Like those are my going all in things. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I just, I want to be prepared for everything. Um, I, I knew, I knew going into residency and fellowship programs that the overall goal was to join, join the NFL. But in the background, other things that I had going in my mind was that long-term planning for me, like I want to go into teaching or go into some sort of educational role at some point in time. I didn't know if it was going to be in five years. I didn't know if it would be in 10 years or 20 or 30 years. At some point in time, that was the thing that I wanted to do and to be able to educate and give back and that type of stuff. I didn't know, but I, and I knew that those things were going to help me along that line. Um, sports was something that I love to do because it made me, it made me love my job every day. Um, I just understood that my legs and my body was going to stop wanting to do it. Yeah. Um, and it, that, that's always not a fun place to be. Um, but uh, I, I guess I, I understood that as for me, like it was going to happen at some point in time, whether I was 30, whether I was 40, whether I was 60, whether I had a family, that type of mm -hmm. stuff that I knew that was ending at some point in time, just like my time in the clinic. Like my time in the clinic at some point in time is going to end. I, I know, I know for most things that um, I'm never going to treat my whole life. Yeah. Um, or not treat 40 hours a week for the rest of my life. Um, that, that, that doesn't make me happy. Um, I would love to see myself give back in a different way. Um, I love treating, but you know, it may, it may turn into less hours or something like that. Um, but yeah, and the, the, the feeling of never being ready. Um, as part of the contingency plan was never being confident in myself enough to make the jump and having multiple people tell me all the time, like, Brian, you're ready. You're ready to make the jump. You don't need to do residency. You don't need to do fellowship. It will always be there. Just go for it. Mm. Uh, there's definitely a little bit of, I wouldn't say regret, but constant thinking that like should i have made the jump even right after pt school would i have so done it if i had given a year for the to the uh to the internship and then gone to pt school afterwards um you know where where would i be um if i'd gone to grad school for p for athletic training and never gone into pt school like what would have happened um I, I do think about that sometimes uh and i just i never i always had the feeling that i wanted to be in the nfl and never had a reason for them to say I wasn't smart enough. Um, I knew I would, I knew I was going to work hard. I knew I wanted to, to make the most out of it, but I always wanted to be prepared academically for whatever was going to be thrown my way, whether it was emergency medicine, whether it was treating, whether it was return to sport, all that type of stuff. And so I wanted to put myself in the best situation. I still don't feel ready by the way, just, just as a heads up. Like, um, so yeah. Awesome. Thanks, thanks for sharing, man. Thanks for kind of going in deep there um, and sharing your experiences. You know, everything, everything does happen for a reason. Uh, yep. You know, totally. you set yourself up for the future and something, something, you know, will pop up. It, it always does, whether it's something that you plan for or not. Um, and hopefully, you know, it seems like you, you've made all the, the right steps to set yourself up for a long, long term as well uh, as being able to be in the present as well. So that, I think that's an interesting dynamic that we as therapists need to um, be able to, to make. And I, I also think it helps with, with that burning out. I, I think mm -hmm. burning out comes from monotony and just doing kind of the same stuff over and over again. 
um, you know, most likely being in a clinic. But if you can juggle or have a couple things going on, teaching here, um, you know, volunteering or, or having something on, on the sports team or sports field in the community, um, and then treating a few hours in the clinic, and then you have your family, like now you're doing a few different things. There's there's no like boredom there, um, you know, because you're, you're we're we're smart people, right? We're we're our minds are always going. Um, in our profession. So to do the same thing for 40 years, I don't think it's natural for anybody. So, um, you know, by doing what you've done, I think you have set yourself up uh, for the future, whatever that may look like, you know, time will tell. So, um, yeah, yeah, it seems like you you wanted to say something. Yeah, I think you, I know it's a, you know, some tough pills to swallow to hear what you heard from that one interview there, Brian. But, um, you know, I think you set yourself up, uh, especially in regards to teaching. I know all my teaching positions um, have been given due to the fact that I went through residency, was board certified, because a lot of the, obviously the programs we like to teach in, it's a lot of PTs trying it, or ATs or such and so forth, trying to get these positions. And it's like, oh, what have you done other than that? Oh, you've done a residency or board certified. You're, you know, what is it? top 1% of the, of the, uh, profession. All right, we're going to give it to you. Um, and from a personal story, if you want to hear it, um, where I did some more contingency stuff, um, my last, uh, affiliation, uh, where I was working in a pure sports, private practice, sports rehab, awesome place. Uh, I was seeing a lot of ACLs, which was my passion was given a job right out like while I was there um but I always had the idea of ownership and there was another company that talked about bringing me on and potentially making me part owner and I was like damn right out of school right right going into part ownership um you know that was a right that was kind of a big goal for me um and it was kind of an area I wanted to be in yada 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 well, long story short, that company dropped out. The sports company I was working for didn't want to wait. They hired someone else. That was a perfect fit for them. And then I was left uh, working for a very sh- shitty company right out of PT school. So I was left like, you know, kicking myself in the ass of like, I should have just taken the sports job and those sort of things. Um, but that led me down the route where I was like, I was looking for more, got into my first company, did residencies now start my own company fellowship and such and so forth teaching and all that. So I don't regret one step of it, but at one point I was like, you know, hate to say fuck me. Um, but that's where I was. Um, and it's tough while you're in the moment, you're like going to kick yourself. But, um, the things that I did at that point, uh, set me up for a lot of different things, teaching, mentoring, and all those sort of things. Whereas if I just took that job right from school, yeah, it was an awesome position, but I may have just been stuck treating the people I want to treat and not pushed myself any further. So just want to give you that, you know, lift up any spirits, take away any of those regrets. I agree with Brandon. Everything does happen for a reason. So I had to throw that in, my man. Appreciate it. But, um, All right. Uh, let's kind of, uh, if you can answer this next question real quick, let's wrap up. But this is a, a, a longer podcast, but great topics. You've been a great guest, Bri. Um, this is, you know, Manips and Steps, uh, obviously we've all been through OMPT, uh, fellowships, so orthopedic manual therapy, uh, physical therapy. We, we have, uh, affinity, uh, probably a bias to it. 
there's strong anti-manual therapy movement out in the, especially the, the uh, social media world. Um, I want you to talk about what's going on in your clinic, which is a well-known um, rehab facility in the country and how you guys are bringing manual therapy to other settings. And yeah. I think we, I don't even think we know about it. Forget lose it. We don't know uh, about it. You know, we have, it, we, we learn these classes in silos, cardiopulmonary, neurophysical uh, neuro, neuro, uh, therapy, uh, PEDS, orthopedics, um, I don't know, whatever else there is. But, you know, we think that manual therapy has to be to the orthopedics and sports realms when it really doesn't. So can you just shed a, a light real briefly on, on what your clinic's doing? Yeah, so um, our company is, we have, we, so we're a rehab um, hospital and um, organization. So we have inpatient rehab, we have uh, skilled nursing facilities, outpatient, and home health. Um, we identified that within our, um, our rehab hospital that we were having some patients who were, you know, stroke or spinal cord injury uh, or traumatic brain injury that had orthopedic issues um, that were limiting their ability to participate with um, as much therapy as possible. Um, or there were some other patients where, say, for example, they had a cervical fusion in another area um, and they had a spinal cord injury because of it. It, it, was, a, it was a poor surgery. And so they are an actual orthopedic patient, but they just happen to be in the inpatient rehab hospital. Um, and we identified that we had um, therapists that were not super comfortable crossing lines. Um, I know that there are other therapists that are individually out there that are really good at doing, you know, multiple populations. Um, that's cool. Um, but we, we realized that we had, a, we had an issue with that. And um, during residency and fellowship, we had fellow residents who were in the North who were in the geriatric residency or the neuro residency who were having issues with patients with like back pain or neck pain or ankle pain or something like that. And they would call us and be like, Hey, can you, can we brainstorm ways to figure this out? And so we brought this idea up to um, our board to, to figure that out. And uh, this year, this is the first year that we are officially setting up a pathway for, um, for a, a therapist, actually, I will be going into the hospital um, with Bob mentoring, actually, uh, Bob Rupp mentoring, and um, helping to not only evaluate, uh, but figure out what's going on with the patient, and then give suggestions to the treating therapist on things they can add into their uh, their rehab, uh, their three-hour rehab, that they can they can do things to help them participate in it, or find alternative ways for them to transfer, or, or, or that type of stuff. So um, it's something that at my actual clinic that we do pretty seamlessly. Um, Sometimes there's like a neuro patient that's there for Parkinson's or something like that who's having some back pain or neck pain, um, but they're there primarily for Parkinson's. Um, and instead of like having a whole evaluation and something like that to transfer therapists, we'll just quickly do like a five minute or 15 minute like uh, consult or, or way to talk to them and be able to help them out. So um, it kind of stemmed from stuff like that where it was like, we have skill sets that are individually really good here, here, here. We've got a whole system of therapists that have specialties, neuro-residencies, neuro-clinical specialties, ortho, sports, um, geriatrics, like why are we not using them? Like why are we not bringing them all together to, to treat the, bring them to the person that's best to treat them at the time or even if it's a small period of time. So that's where, that's where I think we can really benefit as a company is that we do a lot of residencies here, like let's take advantage of it and really do this interpersonal, like interprofessional learning um, amongst us, so. That's awesome, man. Thank, thank That's for awesome. Um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we all have brains. So, you know, if you're in an orthopedic setting, you, you should be applying some probably neuro, neuro principles. 
Um, if you're in another setting, we all have muscles and joints. I'm sure you can apply some of those principles there. So um, thanks, thanks for sharing that, Bri. Uh, any advice to wrap up that you give um, SPT's new grads, those early professionals on, um, you know, maybe just getting involved or uh, not overwhelming yourself or, you know, being okay with not knowing what you want to do at this current point and kind of letting things maybe, you know, play out or flush out um, or anything else that you feel might be pertinent based on today's conversation? Yeah. Um, I mean, the advice for like uh, student physical therapists and uh, new grads is make sure that you keep searching for the thing that you love to do. Um, I think that's really important. And if you really don't know, that's okay. Um, I remember reading a paper back in the day that was about involvement and it broke people into main, like four main categories. Kind of sticks with me. You have those people who just go out and do their own thing. Like you're, these are your leaders who do not need anybody to influence them or do anything like that. Uh, those are people like me. Um, however, I don't have a whole lot of influence on a lot of people necessarily. And so that's where you have maybe your, your leaders. So say these are the really popular people at your school. So they may have seen something, say, for example, like on TikTok or something like that, brought it to the school and they're popular and that they're doing it. They have a bunch of followers. So you have your leaders, which is the second group. And then you have your followers, which is the third group. Then you have your fourth group, which is the people that no matter how hard you try to influence them, they're not going to do anything about it. So they're the people that you just don't spend your time on necessarily. They'll come around. They're like the people who don't want to be in therapy. You give them education, and then if they change their mind, they'll come back to you, and, and you treat them that way. Um, if you're part of the group, the third group, or you're part of the second group, find the people that you, that, that you find interesting or you find passionate, and the only thing that I would say is just talk to them. Like reach out to them, talk to them, find a, find a community to talk amongst or just read or be involved with and then either try to meet them in person. Granted, I know that there's COVID, so maybe it's on Zoom or something like that, but start having those conversations. And if you're interested, just try it. Just say yes to it. There's, don't say yes to things that you know you can't do. But if it's something as simple as a conversation or grabbing a drink or, or doing those things, like just say yes to it see if that's where you want to go. If that's something that interests you and it's low risk, take, take a chance on it and, and see where it goes. And if you've got like, everyone's got really good ideas on what can change or your opinion on because everyone sees the world differently and who knows who's right. Um, but everybody's, everybody's idea really matters and everybody's involvement at every level matters. So if you're someone who loves, I'm someone who loves working behind the scenes. Actually, I hate being the, the face of things. And, um, I love just being told like, Hey, go do this. I'm like, okay, cool. Sounds good. I'll do a really good job and we'll get done. Um, and I realized that for me, but I know I need to change a little bit for it, but that took some time and, and maybe not everybody is there. So, um, you know, get, get involved, get engaged, find something that fits your lifestyle, your personality, but still do the thing. There's a reason you picked PT. There's a reason you picked doing this, like keep finding the thing that keeps you ticking. Awesome. Great stuff. And with that, I would say you, you found out what you needed to work on and what your niche was by doing so many things yep. and then realizing, ah, I like that one. I, I kind of don't like that. I would like this better if maybe I was in a different role. Yep. So, you know, I, you know, you kind of have to throw yourself out there and see what's out there so you can find yourself in a way. Yeah, I agree. I, I feel like, I, I mean, I'm a trial and error person. Some people are not. Uh, yeah. I'm also a trial and error person who does my homework. 
like I make sure I try to look up everything before I jump into something. Um, and if I jump into it, I'm, I'm definitely in for it. Um, but it's still trial and error. And I don't, I didn't realize how much trial and error I liked doing until way later on. Um, but that's where they, they hammer the reflection stuff back in your PT school or residency or fellowship programs. And, uh, having that background has been really helpful for me. Um, and that's how I found out that I really enjoy like, like early professional sig stuff. Like I really enjoy finding that landing platform. Like I just, I want to help people. Like I want to help people find those things that they love to do. And that's, I love being that catalyst, but I don't want to be the face of it. So, which is weird, but. Oh, good. Different structure. Works different for you. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. Anything else, man? No, um, I, oh, go, oh, ahead, go ahead, Brian. I yeah, I'll you. <laughs> I was going to say, um, just a quick plug for the early professional SIG. Um, if anybody wants to get engaged with AOMP, um and our early professional SIG, and you do not have to be a member of AMP to send an email and just reach out. Um, we have a central email. It's E-P-S-I-G, so EPSIG, period, AOMPT, A-A-O-M-P-T, at gmail.com. So just feel free to send an email. Um, Brandon, myself, or two others, Jenny or Rachel, will respond to you. And uh, we're, we're here to help. We don't care that you're a part of AMT or not. Like we're here to help you guys out. So, yeah, and, and just because it's, it's uh, AMT, which is the manual, you know, orthopedic manual therapy, doesn't mean it's limited to that. You know, mm -hmm. if we need to put you in, in contact with uh, a different niche or, or someone else, um, we would be happy to do that. Um, it's just really about getting that network going. Mm -hmm. We have a former cardiopalm resident who reached out who wants to be engaged with us. So, if that helps give any ideas, great. Awesome. Thank, thanks for uh, sharing that, Brian. That's great. All right. Uh, I guess that wraps things up. Um, if there's nothing else to say, uh, Brian, thank you for uh, coming on. It was an awesome episode. I uh, hope, hope people uh, can relate to this. I sure as, sure as hell did. Um, but uh, yeah, just to kind of wrap things up. If you feel free to reach out to us uh, for any mentorship questioning or any concerns or anything like that, I'm at the, the Decent Doctor and at Trifecta Therapeutics. Uh, we're at Manips and Sips on all uh, social media platforms. Brandon's at Think Like a Fellow and at Pursue PT Now. Uh, Bri, are you on anything in particular? Uh, I'm, I'm not, I am, but I'm not super active. So I would say probably the best way to get a hold of me is my email, which is btachibana92 at gmail.com. And then I will start getting my social media back up and running. There we go. And, uh, uh, a couple of last things, uh, Brandon, you want to? Yeah, I was going to say, Jared, Jared, we'll put the, um, EPSIG email in the show notes. Um, I will. so, you know, if people do want to reach out or have questions, please feel free, uh, you know, plug on, plug on our end. Uh, we have our, our mentorship video series, uh, over 120 uh, videos of manual therapy techniques, uh, extremity, spine, neurodynamics. Uh, we're continuing to add more to it. Our actually last course of the year, which is our spinal nip course, is going to be December 3rd. And, no, I'm sorry, 5th and 6th this weekend. Um, but I guess this show will air afterwards, right? Uh, so oh, stay tuned yeah. for 2021. And what we have on there, we're actually going to undergo a rebranding from uh, Pursue PT Education to IOSMT, which is an Institute of Orthopedic and Sports Manual Therapy that will be up in a few weeks. Uh, we'll keep you guys posted on that. And then we have our mentorship platform, which is uh, really rolling right now. For those of you who aren't sure if a residency is for you or don't have access or funds or the 
uh, geographical, um, I guess, means or location to do a residency or fellowship program, or you don't want something as intense, uh, Jeremy, myself, and Dr. Uh, Kyle Feldman have uh, teamed up to uh, offer um, residency and fellowship uh, style mentorship virtually with over 600 articles, fellowship level articles, bi-monthly virtual round calls, uh, and a private Facebook discussion amongst other things. So if you guys have questions, please reach out to us, uh, DM us, email us, or just sign up and we'll see you on that flip side. Awesome. Can't look, well, looking forward to it. So, uh, all right. Thanks for uh, tuning in and cheers everyone. Cheers guys.